Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour returns. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow with a well-deserved day off. He is back next week. Happy July 4th weekend coming up for the Withrows in Nebraska, Paul. He's, he's checked in. Um, he sent us a nice photo from the, the basement where he's watching TV and watching the show on YouTube. Chad could subscribe his entire family right now to the Outkick 360 channel. And he could do that and ring the bell and be notified that we go live at noon, East, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. in Nebraska is when we go live. And they would be automatically entered to win the prize pack from Sony and Hertz Odyssey. Uh, great prize pack, full car stereo system. We're giving this away on August the 31st. And by subscribing, you're alerted to every time we post new content on the channel. The Sony AX3000 car stereo with car, uh, Apple CarPlay. Also the Hertz Audison 520 watt amp and the 400 watt powered sub box and the speaker system. It's all for subscribing to YouTube. If you've already subscribed, great. You're automatically entered to win uh, the great system from Sony and Hertz Audison. Paul, we are winning. Uh, here in Nashville with the announcement yesterday that the Stadium Series is coming to Music City. You and I have had the, the great pleasure of attending one of these games in New York at Yankee Stadium, New Yankee Stadium, uh, where we saw the Islanders face the Rangers. And the, the outdoor experience, the outdoor environment uh, is fantastic for the sport. The stadium atmosphere with 70,000 fans packing, and I do think they'll sell it out. The Preds and Tampa Bay coming to town next February. This is going to be phenomenal, and it's one of those next big events. It's not just a hockey game. It is a big event for the city of Nashville. And Nashville does big events. Yes. Great. Um, that game, you and I, 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 I don't recall if you went in with the same expectations that I did. I thought it would be an event. I did not think it would be much in terms of watching a hockey game. How, yeah, watching it, the puck. Yeah, because yeah. I thought seeing the puck would be impossible. I agree. And, and we were in a club uh, section, um, so, you know, pretty far away from the ice. And the way they had it set up at Yankee Stadium will be different than what they do at Nissan Stadium. Because Nik Nissan Stadium is rectangular, and Yankee Stadium obviously yeah, is Yeah, so Yankee Stadium, it was set up, correct me if I'm wrong here, it was set up like center ice was over second base. Right. And so it was from third, third base to like right field. And we were in some of the, the, the area of what would have been right center field, right dead center of the ice. Yeah, watching we were this. in pretty good position. Um, and it was enjoyable to watch as a game. Now, it was on TVs in, in uh, our booth, but we spent most of the time outside yeah. in the crowd, you know, with wool, wool hats on and the like. But I enjoyed it for, far more as a hockey game than I expected I would. And we left there, and that was our primary commentary was, 
that it played better as a live action sport than we thought it would. Also, we had the great privilege uh, that night, separate of anything, of uh, being treated like VIPs. We got to walk around <laughs> Yankee Stadium. I sat in the Yankee Stadium dugout. We got to walk up to the, to the glass on Yankee Stadium's infield. Uh, you know, a, a dream for a Yankee fan like me and for anybody at Yankee Stadium. Um, Nissan Stadium will be a good venue for this. Um, and, and you've said all along that January was going to be an obstacle for this in an NFL city yeah. with a team that could potentially, I mean, any team conceivably well, potentially could have January dates. Any, any team could, but you could schedule around it a bit based on uh, wh- where you place this. The January date that the Preds have always wanted and have pushed for is the, the New Year's Day game, the Winter Classic. It, different than the stadium series. Yeah. They wanted to play the Winter Classic on New Year's Day. And the problem with that is, number one, the Titans are either going to be at the end of their regular season or they're going to be in the postseason with the possibility they could host a playoff game on that day. Now you're saying, okay, that's Saturday, Sunday, possibly. That's the two. That's true. They also come in a week before and grid out the field and set up the ice and make sure everything's ready to go. So it's a no-go it's too big for of a New setup Year's Day. You, just, you can't set things up properly and expect it to go well. Number two, you can say, well, you can schedule in advance, and if it's the regular season, you can put the Titans on the road. That's true. But you can't guarantee that it would not affect the Music City Bowl, which is also at the end of December every year. And again, that affects your setup time. On top of the fact, that with the expanded college football playoff, Nashville will try to be a part of that at some point. It, it was just a no-go. It was not going to happen, it, it, period. The, they were not going to play the, the New Year's Day hockey game in Nashville. As much as it would be awesome to have the Winter Classic, it's not going to happen in Nashville outdoors at Nissan Stadium. February was always the month that the, the Titans would have been open to because playoffs are over, Super Bowl runs over, there's not much going on there. Concert series don't start until late spring, early summer. CMA Fest happens in June. They repurposed the field several times in the calendar year. But again, it, it's really nice for hockey in February, and that's pretty much it. And that's why they've settled on this date. And, and why it's going to make sense for both parties. That's why it happened now is I feel like the NHL and, and the Preds were open to doing this finally in February and, and realizing that the Winter Classic wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I think, too, to, uh, one thing you didn't mention, setting up a rink, uh, not just, uh, this is not just a buildup. You have to get ice in there. That's what I said. Uh, yeah, it and takes that, a take, week. that it takes, takes a week in advance. I would think it takes maybe even more than a week to get the ice to where you need it to be, yeah. and then you've got you know you got to leave room for the weather variable. Um, so it'll be a really cool event in Nashville. We'll, only- make, we'll make a huge deal out of it. I don't I don't know about filling the building or what they do in terms of putting seats on the. I would think it'd be a centered rink o- over the midfield logo, so to speak, and then you're filling in some seats a- around that as well. The stadiums I've seen haven't really done what that. What do they do? They put it against one one. No, it's wall? just or they put it in the end zone. 
there are the state the stadium views I've seen have not had any seats they, lower. They send they make it central. You're but in they the don't you're in the seats of seats. the stadium. That from what I've seen now they could set it up different. I haven't seen a rendering of this, and I want to throw this out there. The the one event that could go on during this time of year that I failed to mention is Nashville SC. The stadium that they're moving into is scheduled to open by next season. I don't get the sense that they're on schedule. I get the sense that that stadium is going to be more likely opening by late spring, early summer, um, this time of year. And when's that season start, though? Uh, it's pretty early on, isn't it? Like into February, early March. Yeah. I may be wrong on that. I'm not certain. I mean that again. Like it. it, it they may have to find a different venue to play a home game or schedule on They'll the road for a couple weeks. It's happening, though. I'm, it's a phenomenal event, and the Preds will do this right. We saw the, the playoffs and what it was like during the Stanley Cup final run. We saw the NFL draft. It's not going to be the NFL draft in Nashville, but it's going to be really close. I think it's the next biggest event we're going to see, and, and that's with all due respect to what we're about to see uh, with the the race that's coming to Nashville next month or early August, I can't wait to see that spectacle too. This is going to be really cool. And they played in Dallas. It was a Winter Classic, yes? Or yeah, it was a Winter. It was series? no. That was that was the Winter Classic in Dallas, the Cotton Bowl. So it's not like the Preds are new to this. Um, it's Tampa Bay, who could well be. Looks like it will be a two-time defending <laughs> Stanley <laughs> Cup champion. Um, So a good opponent, uh, not with the biggest fan base, but people from Tampa who are way into that team certainly will come. I asked some uh, Nashvilleians, the Preds, hardcore fans will certainly be there. There are 14 or 17,000 people that fill the building. Uh, And then the regulars on top of that who will come, who go to games regularly. And then a lot of people for the one-off for it to be at the event who are or may not even be big hockey fans it's who want to be at a big Nashville sporting event. It's a, it's another opportunity. And to grow th- the there, game. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are certain, certain segments of the hockey fan base that roll their eyes at that in 2021 whenever I say it's another chance for the, for the sport to grow, for the franchise to grow more fans. But it's true. I mean, you're going to put 70,000 people in a stadium – that's going to get eyes on the product. You're bringing the best team in hockey to face you uh, on national TV. That that's why Tampa's involved. Is you're bringing the star power and you're bringing the champs to Nashville and putting them on national TV. Um, and you're not going to split the audience with a Canadian broadcast. You're going to do it strictly in the states. Um, Minnesota has the Winter Classic next year. And then the next stadium game will be in Nashville. They did new sweaters for the Winter Classic. Mm-hmm. They probably do something new. A lot of money generated also. And the gate is, uh, is massive. Um, you know, I don't know what the ticket price range is. but don't know. Uh, whatever it is, it's, uh, you know, it's a massive gate for a team that's used to, uh, you know, mid to high teens. For a, for a home date. I, I see endless possibilities as well with what you can do on Broadway leading up to that. Concerts. But I'm thinking national broadcast, NBC Sports Network, or you know wherever they end up, NHL Network. Uh, it's not going to carry the game, but I'm saying leading up to it. There's endless possibilities of what they can do. And then what what door does this open to the, the next big event? 
You know, like we keep thinking of what's the next league that wants to come and do an event here. This is more eyeballs on the product of what Nashville can give you. And, and I your think, company. I think the selling stage is probably over for the World Cup uh, host city is it? Uh, bid. I mean, in terms of this being something that I don't think Nashville has to sell itself as a place that uh, would be a great host city any longer. What stadium improvements can be, be made between now and then and what kind of competition it's had with the other cities that are, are done there. But that's uh, another thing on the horizon if Nashville can win one of those bids, um, that's as big as it gets um, on the international stage for the World Cup that would come in uh, down the road after Qatar. You know, a cutter. Um, a cutter, that's right. In uh, thinking of 70,000 fans for what will be a Preds home game, and we, I was discussing this with a buddy last night about not having a, having a non-traditional team coming to Nashville for a face-off of two non-traditional right, teams right and that, not that's a that's a benchmark for the league yeah and but I, it's also I think in a good way in, in a check mark for for Nashville and for the Preds because it's going to sell out because of the one-off I, I, I think the event itself will sell because people want to be downtown they want to go see that you're very unlikely, if you're going for a one-off, to be cheering for Tampa Bay, right? If you if you have Pittsburgh or Detroit or Chicago coming to town, Boston, yeah, original. Six, maybe you right. have some some fans that are a little bit louder. I I think this is great because it's going to sound like a Preds home game with seventy thousand people in attendance, and it's a home game where, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. You're able to treat this as you would a game at, at Bridgestone, where you play your stuff, you have your PA guy, you do everything oh, yeah, like I don't a home see game. Why not? And you know, while Crazy I'm sure there Kyle, are some, your guy will be yeah, there. my guy, my guy. Uh, while I'm sure there are some some aspects that the league takes over, you're still going to have Catfish Jake throwing a catfish on the ice, right? Like, there's still going to be that aspect of it. It's going to feel like seventy thousand season ticket holders are in there, not just seventy thousand sports fans. That's going to be cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's big. Put it on your – did they give a specific date yet or just, uh, just say February? No, they, they gave the date. It's in, into February. I, I did not uh, write yeah, that great. down. But you, you know, I'll get that on my calendar. Go to the Preds I, website. I, I will intend to take the boy. Yeah, I mean, it, we intend on, on being there. We'll be in the, in the thick of it, covering that. I mean, that will be a, a national event that time of year. Uh, it's right around the NFL draft time. It'll be busy. It'll be fun. Should be really cool. And um, combine time. Combine, yeah, combine NFL draft. You're right. It, getting ready for the, the NFL combine. Maybe the final one in Indy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the final one uh, in Indianapolis. Fanduel.com/ok360. You can go there, place your first bet. If you haven't already, you can sign up. Fanduel.com/ok360, and you can get a risk-free bet up to a thousand dollars risk-free, or you get 30 to 1 odds on any team to win their next game in the NBA playoffs, which tonight, that means you could bet on Milwaukee and the Bucks, Huge favorites over Atlanta with Trey Young questionable with that ankle injury. You could bet on the Bucks at 30 to 1 odds. They're minus 275 favorites. You bet $5, you get 150 in winnings for making your first bet with FanDuel Sportsbook. Just go to FanDuel.com 
slash OK360. We talk some Titans football and an overarching big topic coming up on OutKick360. Hang with us. OutKick360 in the Tennessee Power Hour. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton discussing this segment, Titans football, and the 2021 version of this team off of a group that won 11 games and that had higher hopes than what we saw leave Nissan Stadium against the Baltimore Ravens this past January. They've made several moves on defense. What, six new starters? Whenever, six of the top 12. Six, yeah, and uh, a different offensive line is what we'll be watching uh, whenever they take the field in September versus the one we saw in January, that's for sure. And the core pieces on offense are back along with Julio Jones. Are they better, Paul, right now than they were in January? I think, I think yes. Um, I don't know if that means that they win 11 games. I don't know if it means they win the division. Starting on defense, uh, look, change doesn't necessarily mean you're better. Seems like the, the coaching structure is more sensible, clearer, with Shane Bowen saying he has, you know, final say. We know what that means. Mike Vrabel has final say, but the, that the structure is that the defensive coordinator is, is clear. Jim Schwartz with a voice in it is, is a, a, a good added voice. And then a, a lot of change in personnel. And I, I maintain that personnel was the number one problem with this team last year. We'll, I don't think, Bud, go ahead. Let's go piece by piece because I'm with you. The one hesitation I have in saying they're better on defense, and, and on paper they are. They're better on paper. Are they better, in, are they better right now than the team we saw in January. And, and, and when I say right now, I think by the end of the season, the defense that everyone is thinking about will be together. But is Bud Dupree available in week one? Is Caleb Farley available week one? I think uh, a lot of these pieces are, we just haven't seen. I think Farley will be, is my guess. I think Dupree won't be, is my guess. Or if he is, he'll okay. be limited. I mean, that's a quick turn off a of December 2nd torn ACL. But if he can't go. And guys, take a while. If he can't go, You're back got with the issues. piece that you had last year. Uh, yeah. That's my point. Yeah. Uh, or Rashad Weaver, who's a fifth-round pick. I, I think he stands to be better than some very bad guys who finished the season as your second outside linebacker candidates, right? Uh, Brooks Reed, <laughs> uh, Wyatt Ray, yeah. Tuzar Skipper. Um, I still have Roberson. Roberson, who was a big disappointment. You know, he should be a notch above them, but that doesn't mean he's good right. uh, in the first game of his, his career. Um, but, you know, Autry is significantly better than Jack Crawford. Um, I, I think yes. we could chalk that yes. up, right? And, you know, you look at the cornerbacks, they were really bad. Uh, even Adoree Jackson back it just seemed to have no interest in playing. I don't know if it's a COVID thing on, on top of the, the ankle thing or the knee thing, but th they were really bad. And so I think the guys that are there, Farley included, want to be there and want to play. A healthy Christian Fulton is, you know, was a wash last year. Janoris Jenkins is a high-energy uh, veteran leader of that group. Elijah Molden, a um, uh, 
a dedicated slot guy who you know maybe will struggle with some big people, but I think on some of the smaller slot types that we see on some of the teams the Titans play will be good. I think Hooker over Vaccaro should be an upgrade because Kenny was starting to slip last year. Tier Tart, I'm not sure about. You know, that's a downgrade from Daquan Jones until you factor in the finances. Though Tart has a chance to penetrate in a way that Daquan Jones wasn't doing. Overall, the cast of characters should be better. And they've talked repeatedly about this kind of deeper understanding that everybody's going to have about what the defense conceptually is trying to do. That sounds good. You know, it sounds good that the defense is going to have a broader understanding of what the defensive purpose is, what each play is trying to accomplish, what each uh, schematic kind of element is trying to do and why so-and-so is doing this and what it means to you over here. And they acknowledge not every guy is going to have, you know, the depth of understanding that goes as broad if he's not suited for it. But the smartest guys will have a broader understanding, and that's been a big offseason thing. And what does, for all the new additions, what about right up the middle of their defense, the players who return? I'm not saying do they live up to expectations. We're beyond that for Rashawn Evans. Are they better than what they were a year ago? Is Jeffrey Simmons a better player in this defense than what he was a year ago? Is Rashawn Evans better than what he was a year ago? Is Kevin Byard a better player than what he was a year ago? If the answer to all three players is yes, they are substantially a better football team this go-around than what we saw leave the field in January. Well, I'll go two out of three. I think Bayard will be better. I think they, they and I'm going to write about this soon, they went a lot of left-right last year, which I don't really understand. He's more of a center fielder. Vaccaro, and certainly Hooker, is more of a box guy. You should be playing free and strong mm-hmm. there more often than you're playing left and right. Doesn't make much sense. I think they'll, they'll probably return to putting Bayard more in advantageous situations for Bayard. Corners stand to be better that we're talking about. That benefits Bayard. And the pass rush being better. Keyed around Dupree's health stands to benefit Bayard. Uh, Simmons, very good at what he's been very good at, needs to expand the pass rush repertoire. And I think the fan base, too excited about Simmons based on what he's done so far. A lot of promise for him to round into a fully developed defensive tackle, but has not rushed the passer consistently the way we want to see from a guy of that uh, pedigree, a first-round pick going into his third season. Needs to penetrate more often, I think you'd agree. Autry should help there, Um, and better outside stuff from Landry and Dupree should help there, and I think he knows it. But I think Nashville's been fast to anoint him as a superstar. He's not a superstar at this sense yet. I'm optimistic about him and Byard. To me, the die's cast with Evans, and he is what he is. I, he could be a little bit better, but he's not going to be a lot better. Well, just in a contract year, I wonder what that does. And getting Jayon Brown back next to him, which he didn't have Full at the time. end of the year. Yeah. Uh, uh, can he be a better player? Um, because some of this is factoring in on guys just playing better than what we saw a year ago defensively. I don't know if you can get that on offense. That's my. That's what I'm about yeah. to get to. Um, and and go, you mentioned Autry. I think they're going to move Autry all, around a lot more than what we saw him do in Indy. Yeah. Um, and Indy, he had excellent people next to him 
yeah, you know, DeForest stud, Buckner. stud and DeForest Buckner. Yeah, so and Grover. So is Autry? Uh, you know, really is good. Autry Autry because he's playing next to DeForest Buckner, or is well, he was good Simmons going DeForest to be better because he's playing next to Autry? Well, Danico Autry was a good player before DeForest Buckner got there. Steady, good, you know, a notch better than Daquan Jones in terms and of the being a well-rounded, a well-rounded player. Colts are getting younger and, right. uh, you know, ready to move on from him the way the Titans are ready to move on from Daquan Jones. But he's a more well-rounded player. So he's going to penetrate more often, I think, than Daquan Jones did as the second defensive lineman. Now you're worried about the third defense. Well, so is Autry, is Autry a Jack Conklin that left his team, or is he Rashawn Evans that's about to leave his team? That's a big question. I think he's a Jack Conklin minus well, then, the injury stuff, but he's older. He's older than I don't Jack hear Conklin a, was. He's on a no, third contract. But let, let's, let's just flip it. Let's say Conklin left the Titans and went to play for the Colts. How worried are Titans fans about that move? Quite worried. You know, going to Cleveland... He's a part of the best offensive line in football, so I'm not trying to, to you know, just sweep that under the rug. The Titans could really use Jack Conklin on their offensive line right now, uh, but it's not. It doesn't burn as much as it would if he went within your division against a team that you're competing for for the top of your division. The Colts let Danico Autry walk, and did so without even really trying to keep him. Yeah, and they let him walk right next door to the team that is winning the division and competing for the number one spot with you for that buy. That's that's intriguing to me for a team that believes they're close, just like the Titans are close. You agree? Yes, but I think it's different based on what your strengths are. They've got DeForest Buckner, like we're talking about, and Grover, what's his name, who plays very well off DeForest Buckner. Mm. So they're strong up front. And they're working to develop their outside guys. Justin Houston also gone. So they had to make some decisions uh, uh, up front as well. And I think they're looking to get younger. Grover Stewart. Grover Nose Stewart. Nose tackle. Who's, who's played very well next to uh, Buckner. And they now, extended. he wasn't as good. We saw one game against the Titans that Buckner was out, and Grover Stewart wasn't nearly as good. Right. Um, but – you know, they're making decisions based on what they have, their long-range forecast and all of that. I don't think you can look at Autry and say, well, the Colts didn't like him, so he can't help the Titans. They're clearly uh, different dynamics at, at play. And the Titans have had not a very good player at that position for a while now to the point where Matt Dickerson was, uh, who, who I don't see making the, the Raiders roster. If he does, he's going to be the same low-ranking guy the Titans had who's getting far too many snaps here. A guy like Autry yeah. is going to prevent that from happening. I'm intrigued to see how they piece him around. There's been talk that he's just kind of a stationary player. And I say talk, that, that's how he's described. Oh, he's, he's in there next to Jeffrey Simmons. I don't think he's next to Jeffrey Simmons on every snap. I, don't, I think they're going to move him around. As in outside linebacker some? Yeah, I think they can move that'd him all terrific. around the front. Well, if he can play edge some, that'd be terrific, particularly like we're talking about with Dupree not being ready early and not being himself early. And I'm not Remember just concerned like, about him not being out there early, Hut. I mean, I think uh, Pro Football Doc said that these ACLs are uh, – uh, a sunrise, not a light switch. And so even once Dupree is out there, I think people who are looking for, you know, two-and-a-half sack games out of the gate are going to be really disappointing. It's going to take a while. 
Hmm. And you're going to have to be patient. And this signing is about the life of the contract, not about year one. And that's going to be hard to be patient on that because that's a position where they need some instant juice and he may not be able to provide instant juice. Or you might see instant juice on some snaps, but you might not see instant juice snap to snap. I, I hesitate buying And then people will be completely. calling him a bust well, when he's not there, when they know he's not going to be there based on the timing of the Every game. other move they've made, though, is about instant juice. Agre- and they gave a ton of money to him. So, to me, that that's that's saying you, that's an endorsement that you feel like he's back sooner than what others felt like he's back. I think they're optimistic. It's an optimistic view to think that Bud Dupree is going to be what Bud Dupree will be in October of what are they, 2021. What, off the top of your head, do you know what they're paying him this year? I don't. I mean, you're paying Julio Jones twelve to fifteen million dollars this year for instant juice. Yes. Right. For a guy that played nine games last year, like so, like there's the mentality of this team is win now, and I don't think they can do that without the juice of that's why of I don't Bud think they, I, I think we're all in agreement they didn't do enough there. That second, the, the the getting the premier guy is good. Yeah. Even if he was completely healthy, they didn't do enough behind him, and he's not completely healthy. You can join the chat, Outkick360. I'm just asking for the fair assessment. The fan, in, I, I, I think the, the average fan believes year to year your team is better than the year prior. Every offseason, uh, th- that's what makes the NFL the, the juggernaut that it is during the NFL draft because you can make the team that has the first overall pick feel like they just won the offseason by drafting Trevor Lawrence. Uh, even though Jacksonville's not predicted to do all that well. This outside linebacker conversation, Hut, when you, when you went to Mike Keith's thing last week, Chad mm-hmm. and I were discussing, you know, what was the thing that you feel like the Titans neglected. And there were some easy answers. Kicker I wrote about today. Backup quarterback, tight a lot end. of people said tight end. Yeah. I still said outside linebacker because of this. Because Fair. how much we've been harping on it, for how long we've been harping on it, because Dupree's not automatic at the beginning of the season, and because even if he was, they seem almost hell-bent on not being deep there. Well, see, that's that's almost my reasoning for Autry and my why I think they're moving him around some. You ha- I have to look at their pieces and think, okay, if Dupree's not ready to go against the Arizona Cardinals, what are you doing? What are they doing to get creative against Kyler Murray in that offense. Okay, but let's go. Let's extend it now. So splash Autry into outside linebacker. Who's the end? Well, that's where I think you go heavy inside. You you could bring in. Uh, so you'd have Landry Murchison. You'd have right. Murchison. You'd have Rashad Weaver. Uh, Naquan but you're Jones weakened. is like going Murch- to be inside. Murchison's not. No, you're great. right. Tear Tart. You're weakened. Yeah. And Tart. I think is absolutely an interior, interior guy. Um, Aubrey Jones is an interior, yeah. interior guy yes, who's had success in Jacksonville. And Naquan Jones, those are the three guys who are, to me, competing for no's. Um, you know, they're not a ton of snaps there, but like I said, they played a lot more, over 50%, three defensive linemen than you think because we're so hell-bent on the nickel front. And I bring up Autry the same way... Jarrell Casey, you know, they would put, remember Casey standing up on the outside and rushing? Um, He would stand up on the inside and rush too. I just, I think there's different ways to get 
Autry involved than just oh he's he's going to line up next to Jeffrey Simmons snap in and maybe and snap Schwartz out. is a factor in in Could this be. multiplicity. They talked front multiplicity, but we've had a lot of conversations like about and people are still asking me at the site about Evans outside. We're not going to see Evans outside if we haven't seen it yet. <laughs> if we haven't seen it yet, why would we and not this guy see it? So this limited. Point. I know they're not going to do it now and. Maybe it's unfair that I pin this on Rashawn Evans, but who have we seen them use versus this in this versatile way up front? Seems to me guys have their spots. Now they might use a guy at tackle end, yep. you know. But beyond that, have we seen a guy who's been uh, end slash outside linebacker? Not much. I mean, we saw uh, uh, the creative thing on Dezubnar last year when they were desperate at outside <laughs> linebacker, lined up at outside linebacker in the Ravens playoff game. That's and how they were desperate they the were. Kitchen sink. That's how desperate they were. That, that was a guy who was a special teamer slash uh, goal line player that they lined up at outside linebacker. He had, what, like five to seven snaps with the Chargers? Game on snaps. Defense. Yeah. On defense. You're right. Uh, in offense, while we're while we're discussing this, it's it's really hard for me to say that they're better offensively, even with Julio Jones, because they're losing Arthur Smith. That's the big one, and and they're losing the production of Jonu Smith. Jonu's not a great blocker by any means, but he gave you that versatility and the downfield athletic threats. That look, they're not making that same touchdown catch at the tight end position that we saw two years ago in Baltimore in the playoff game that we saw from Johnny Smith in the corner of the end zone. That's not happening. So how are they different within the, the structure of their offense? And they're going to have to be different. Uh, we're going to have to see Todd Downing expand uh, the, the offense and layer from what Arthur Smith did because defenses are going to be studying what they did. But I, I'm, I'm hesitant despite what they've added and the fact that they do have their core back to, and that includes their offensive line, to say they are definitively better because we've never seen an offense better than what we saw last year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the move to Darrington Evans as a third down slash receiving back is a new element. We were excited about it last year. We didn't see it because of injuries. So that's got to offset the loss of Johnny Smith to a degree. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a different thing. It's a different area of the field you're throwing to you're looking for yak and you're looking for offensive linemen getting out ahead of him to block for him and stuff that's different than Johnu getting a ball a little bit downfield where he could bury somebody with the shoulder or uh, or run away from people he, he's not a phenomenal blocker but he was a good blocker who rose to the occasion many times there was the one Colts game last year where he was monumental in what Derrick Henry did um, and so they're lacking in that area. So there is some give and take, yeah. some, some levers here where you're, you're giving up in one area and getting in another area. And we have to see Todd Downing make that work. It's good that they've got preseason back for him, I think. And he's probably not going to do a lot. They'll be vanilla or whatever. But, and the work in Tampa Bay will be helpful where they can, can see some things. I'm with you. Uh, you know, they they could be better. I think they should be better, but I'm not willing to proclaim them better. Better, so we're defining this just based on, I mean, they, they average 31 points per game. Um, 
we, we saw a very efficient Ryan Tannehill. We saw a 2,000-yard rusher from Derrick Henry. We saw a 1,000-yard receiver from A.J. Brown. Corey Davis, if not for in his stats or his stats, he, to me, he should have been a 1,000-yard receiver last Just year. Missed. He missed a couple of games. But he also didn't play well towards the end of the regular season either. He didn't step up and make some big grabs. All that to say, that's a lot of production to repeat. Now, they have the extra game. and I'm not even factoring that into my overall thinking here. I, I think this team can be better than the team we saw in January. Not necessarily record-wise, though. You see, like yeah. I, I think by the time playoff time rolls around, they can be a better team. I'm not so sure we see that same 4-0, 5-0 start right out of the gate that ultimately got them to the postseason last year. Offensive line played very well last year in blocking for the 2,000-yard rusher and in keeping Tannehill upright. Yeah. So Lawan coming back needs to add juice to that. Has to. Completely free them of any help on the left side. Now you're helping probably Lamb at the beginning, but ultimately Raiden's. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're helping. And it might be, we should throw in, it might be Raiden's to start. I hope it's Raiden's to start. I don't have a lot of faith in them jumping to a, a second-round pick early from a small school. They should. He should be ready. Uh, if they deem him worthy of that pick, to me, then he's worthy, uh, should be ready. But they tend to slow play that stuff. Um, you're going to need to help some there. Um, but... Overall, that unit should be as good or better. I know you don't pick up where you left off and all of that. Ben Jones had an excellent season last year. Does he, you know, maintain that? He's getting older. He was really dinged up last year and played at that level. Do those injuries start to catch up to him? You don't know. Um, right, right guard and Nate Davis, you've got an ascending, ascending player. Uh, left guard, Roger Saffold, was, was very good. Can, can he sustain? I like that group. Mm-hmm. You should feel yep. good about that group. And then, you know, Derrick Henry, it's hard for people to picture him not sustaining it. But at some point, well, he's remember, not going to sustain it. We, we, I went through a couple of weeks ago, prior to them making the trade for Julio Jones, I went through the numbers, and their start was due in large part to Corey Davis and John U. Smith, yep. not Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, in that first month of the season, he averaged 3.7 yards per carry. And over, if you take out the first month, he averages nearly six yards per carry once he got going. It's generally a, a, a build for him to where they really start riding him. Uh, and, and offensively, he starts being the backbone of the offense. Early on, it was the passing game. That- a, lot, a lot of questions we want to see. How much more three wide? You know, they were still, what, yep. what did I say, 35% too tight yep. last year. Which is among equipped. the highest in the league. Yes, maybe second in the league, uh, top five for sure. So how much more three wide are they going to be? What does that do? How much more Darrington Evans in the pass game? There are questions to be sorted out on offense, despite the fact that there aren't that many changes. Um, but you, a couple levers have been pulled that are going to change it. And it's going to be very interesting to see how those changes alter their identity. But we do know, first and foremost, fundamentally, it's Derrick Henry and play action. Coming up, a scenario I want to pose for Paul and just compare 
the way Dana White goes about his business to the way the NFL right now does theirs. A lot of their negotiations, 99% of it's behind the scenes. You don't hear much of the back and forth and the banter. It's the exact opposite right now in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And I, I want to get Paul's initial take. Who have he, he doesn't know the scenario or the quotes. And we'll compare it to what we see from the NFL. Whether or not he craves some of this. Maybe not 100% of it. Maybe give us 5% of the vitriol that we see between ownership and management in the UFC. That's straight ahead on OutKick 360. OutKick 360, Tennessee Power Hour. Glad you're with us. Crew is all here making the show happen. The cast of thousands, as we like to say, with the OutKick Network. And right here in the studio, it's Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, Sarah Triplett, and David Reed, who is the chairman of the board. Shout out Becca Risley and Sleepy Danny for making it happen. Down the hallway at Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy. Uh, a little UFC tie-in here, because I want to compare a scenario that's happening as we speak to Paul's coverage in the, the mecca of the, the newspaper coverage of the NFL, uh, where Paul, at one time, when I first started, which was 2005, Paul, there were four writers for the Tennessean. You were one of the four. One of them was a columnist, David Clymer. Then you had Jim White and David Beauclair. They were all covering the team at the same time. That quickly went to just one writer, the occasional columnist, and the occasional writer for that matter, if he wasn't covering a team mascot in Alabama. But my overall point is, there's not a lot of digging that goes on with the meat and potatoes of how things really, how the sausage is made behind the scenes anymore. It's the teams announcing a signing or Adam Schefter or uh, Rappaport's announcing a signing and then the details come out. In the UFC, it's, it, there's a lot of hatred behind the scenes with management and when I say hatred, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Now we're seeing agents get involved and Dana White plays this out as the president of the UFC in the public. He has a champion, Francis Ngannou, who has been the heavyweight champion for about three months now. And Francis Ngannou wants to wait until September to defend his heavyweight title. That's what he's negotiating. The UFC, they want him to defend his title in Houston against Derek Lewis, who is from Houston, at UFC 265. Ngannou wants to fight UFC 266. So what does Dana White do? He's creating an interim championship where they will take Cyril Gaon, who just won in the UFC this past weekend at heavyweight, to fight Derek Lewis for an interim championship belt. And Francis Ngannou does not get paid championship money, which is a million plus, to defend his title. You see what I'm saying? Now, the the next fight will be big, but they're creating championship money for two guys that are not the champion. So here is... CAA represents Francis Ngannou. Here's the initial response to the announcement that UFC is going to create an interim title. Uh, And as you scroll down, the quote is, this comes as a complete shock to make an interim title so soon. If you look at the history of the division, it comes as a surprise. Francis is just now returning to the States to begin training. He's from France. And he just won the title three months ago. We're unsure of the reasoning behind this, but we hope to get clarity soon and figure out something with the UFC. At the end of the day, they're in control of these decisions. That's from his management. This is Dana White's response 
to CAA, full of bleep. He knows exactly what's going on and isn't, quote, shocked at all because we told him several times this was coming. His management is incompetent, and hopefully Francis starts taking a look at new people to help his career. That is from the president of the UFC, Dana White, which response, uh, the response from CAA is a lengthy one, uh, where they go on to say, if you really want to air this out in the public, we're happy to. I'm ready to get blackballed by the UFC. I'm not defined by it, you or anyone else for that matter. How's that sound? Sincerely, your old employee, Markwell Martin, uh, who is now representing as the agent to Francis Ngannou. I'm fascinated by this behind the scenes. Paul, I only bring this up to say, imagine if this happened between teams and players at the NFL level. Imagine if we had this going on right now with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers instead of just clinging to a sentence on a, a final interview with Kenny Mayne and SportsCenter. I mean, it's very compelling, and it's part of what makes the UFC the UFC, but it's also a bleep show that makes it look like, you know, they can't uh, have a professional dialogue um, to arrange their business matters, which is on brand for UFC. It's not on brand for the NFL where there are mostly cordial relationships between this was, teams and agents. Now before before we compare management. we see teams that bring 2 billion dollars if they were to sell, right? Right. The UFC sold a couple years ago for 4 billion. They are now expected to be worth around 8 to 10 billion dollars years after just a handful of years after selling. I mean, they're doing nothing but going up. And they're doing it with this business model. Oh, yeah. Which I, is, which is intriguing. I'm not, I'm not doubting it's a successful business model, but part of what it's doing is selling itself as kind of counter to oh, yeah. the, the regular business models, which have been very successful for the NFL also. But we, we had a topic in the, an hour ago about Brady being boring on purpose. Yeah. Dana, Dana White is, say what purpose. you mean and mean what you say and be direct with it. Uh, on purpose. On purpose. Yeah, I mean, the closest, not the closest, but I mean, I remember when, when Floyd Reese was uh, general manager of the Titans, and I can't remember what agency it was, but I think Ben Dogra, who's now a giant agent. Yeah, massive now. Was working with Jim Steiner, I think. Okay. But he was working with a big agent and kind of coming up. And he was kind of being cast as the lead agent in a big negotiation with the Titans. I can't remember the player. And so I kept coming to Reese with something from Dogra. And he kept saying, who is he? <laughs> like he refused to acknowledge that this was the lead guy. And he kept saying, I'm talking to Steiner. I'm dealing with Steiner. It's about Steiner. Kind of insulting Dogra, not accepting that they were that Dogra was the guy that they were putting on the lead on. That's the closest thing to like an insult of a guy that I could remember. Now, I try to stay out of the agent lane as much as I could when I was on the beat or subsequently. I don't like to deal with agents, generally speaking. Nowadays, it's impossible. A lot of them are, there, there are some good guys, but a lot of them are not good But guys. think about how it's transitioned. We went from Terrell Owens doing sit-ups in his driveway with Drew Rosenhaus to where Rosenhaus now is 
really silent for the most part. Well, he just talks to Schefter, and Schefter tweets out what Rosenhaus. But this said. is a guy. But instead of talking to Schefter, he used to just get in front of a microphone and go live on SportsCenter. Yeah. And he doesn't do that anymore. No. It's he the, sends it's, out pictures of his babies. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a. It's a different environment. Like just comparing it to, and it wasn't even that crazy then, but we thought it was, and now it's really neutral and bland. Yes. It's like, I don't buy the fact that it's non-emotional behind the scenes. No, there's definitely some emotion behind the scenes during it, but I think they work to like, hey, you know, it was contentious at the time, but now we've reached an accord and everybody's happy and we're cool, right? Um, And on to the next one or until we meet again kind of thing, which is how most business is, is done. And UFC is the thing where everybody's like, whoa, this is what it would be like if we all really said what we felt in the moment and didn't uh, try diplomacy or didn't, didn't think that diplomacy was a necessary part of business. It's how I would deal with contracts if I could. I would love it. But I can't. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I thought about that too <laughs> last <laughs> night as I saw these comments. Um, speaking of UFC, July 10th, McGregor takes on Poirier. We'll have some great odds for you at FanDuel coming up soon. Paul, fun show today. Fun show by the entire crew. If you're interested, I, I won't go uh, rated R here. If you're interested in learning about Lance Lee's rooster, I could use another word to describe this animal. Uh, you can go to the warm up, rewatch the warm up at Instagram. Uh, and we have the debrief coming it's up. Quite a rooster. Momentary. It is. Quite, quite, quite a large rooster. David Reed, the chairman of the board, making it happen. We are back at it tomorrow on Outkick 360. Hang with us. When there's only two of us here, you see it over my shoulder the entire <laughs> show. A big reminder do not block there it is. the box. Also, I would encourage you lock your locks. There's- Naked kids on acid all over the place. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.